Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park everybody it is another episode of the offside trap this time joined by another kevin without tim in the studio tonight all the way from philadelphia with it's always soccer in philadelphia to preview the game with the union this coming sunday on march 17th at 7 p.m how's it going kevin good man how you doing not too bad now that the formalities are out of the way (laughs) Uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording this thing about how much of a struggle we're both we both seem to be in opening up three weeks into the season. How uh, how you feeling so far? Uh, what do you got to gripe about, and, and what do you sort of see coming this week against Atlanta? Well, it's probably a new feeling for you guys, but for everybody uh, everybody up here, this is nothing unusual. You know, this is sort of part uh, part part for the course, actually. You know, so. Um... No, I think people are just kind of uh, seeing a little deja vu up here because they've the, the union have started the last couple seasons s- slowly. You know, they historically have gotten off to slow starts. They find themselves sort of behind the eight ball and sort of clawing their way back in. Um, usually, they'll rip off a couple wins in in May, <laughs> kind of right the ship, get everybody believing again do pretty well in the summer before falling off again, you know? So I think, I think the thing that people are worried about is, Oh, here we go again. You know, it's the same, same pattern that we've seen over the last couple of years. And, uh, I think people knew the schedule was tough off the bat. You know, they opened with Toronto at home. Then they had to go to Kansas city. Now they have to go to Atlanta. Um, ironically, I think people thought Atlanta was probably the toughest trip out of all of those. Um, but now it looks like they might be able to scrape a point there, you know, with the, with a new coach and, new system and trying to work in some new guys and stuff like that. So I, I don't, I think union fans are kind of numb to it by now. I don't think anybody's really surprised with the slow start, you know? Yeah. I mean, what do you think some of that has been a matter of circumstance for Philly over the past few years? Because what was it last year? You guys ended up what right outside of playoffs or did you just make the cut? I, I don't remember. Was it like that middle of the table, sixth or seventh in the East? Something yeah, like they that. Were the, they got in as the sixth seed, but they had a That's chance it. to, um, to finish with a home they had a chance to host a a playoff game up until the very like last game second last game of the season last year and they blew some opportunities to do that um you know they haven't hosted a playoff game since my second year on the beat which was 2011 (laughs) if you can believe it (laughs) wow yeah they've they've played uh you know the statistic is that they're zero and four 
uh, in playoff games. They've never won a playoff game. They were Owen. They are Owen three in U.S. Open Cup finals. So that makes it zero uh, and seven in the seven most important games in franchise history. So now you under, put it in those terms, you understand why they lost a lot of people up here. So what do you think really started to lead to that downfall, or um, has it always just kind of been a given, and everybody's just fallen out of fallen out of interest or excitement because it just keeps perpetuating itself? Yeah, I mean, it's a couple different things. It's sort of, uh, you know, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg, you know. It's like the ownership doesn't spend a lot of money. Uh, They have a $10 million per year uh, budget that can be divided up into the academy and transfer fees and, uh, you know, various methods of player acquisition and stuff like that. But it sounds like a decent chunk of change off the beginning. But, you know, Atlanta paid, what, $15 in a transfer fee for Barco last year? (laughs) So yeah, but you see how well that's paying off for Atlanta right now. So I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I mean, I think a, a better example may be Minnesota, who's not really yeah. didn't have a DP slot in its first year, and now I mean, 2019 certainly looks promising for them. One of only three teams that have wins in their first two weeks. I think it's a little too early and maybe a little too premature to judge anybody. Um, I know everybody in Atlanta may be panicking a little bit and the sky is falling, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I'm just interested to see as far as fan bases, how, how that sort of affects the fan base and the general perspective of yeah. union fans going forward. Like what, what is there if, if it's sort of a given that you're going to be a middle of the table team or, or that seems to be the consistency that the team has built up, what, what do you what do you see supporters getting excited about or is it has it been grasping at straws no it's been grasping at straws it's been a constant struggle over the last couple of years because you know Philly's a very <clears throat> blue collar sports first kind of town so you have kind of a conflict between people who are like look this this ain't worth our time and worth our money and they've given up their season tickets and they've moved on to other things I mean you look at like the Phillies signing Bryce Harper you know what I mean <laughs> so right up the street. <laughs> You know, why am I going to yeah. go watch a uni game when I can watch that instead? Uh, but right. the other half of it is people who are diehards who say they're going to ride or die with the team no matter what, and that's why the stadium is still pulling 12, 13, 14, 15,000. You know, that's the eternal struggle we face in Philadelphia and why, you know, the teams usually get support uh, even when they're not winning, you know. But at the same time, like, you, each each person has to decide individually, is this worth my time, is this worth my money? You know, they had a we had a protest here in 2015 – where they put Nick Sikiewicz's face on a coffin and marched it to the front of the stadium <laughs> and did that whole thing. And that got results, you know. So I, I told people, like, look, you either got to be all in or all out. You, you either got to be supportive of Jay Sugarman or not because sitting on the fence doesn't really do anything. And you sit there and you watch an owner who doesn't really spend a lot of money, but the value of his franchise continues to go up simply because other teams are entering the league. Yeah, I think it's an interesting dynamic and contrast, particularly this week looking at an Atlanta side, which, like you mentioned, a $15 million acquisition of Ezekiel Barco, a marquee signing with Pitti Martinez, and then uh, re-upping the contract for um, Joseph Martinez up front. You've got three offensive powerhouses looking at upwards of $45 million in, in transfer and acquisition funding that isn't really producing a lot of results. So you can't always just throw money at something and expect it to work. And 
I think you're going to see some similar mentality where if if Atlanta doesn't start to right the ship soon and start to produce some sorts of some sort of results, you can't point to well there's a lack of investing or a lack of buy-in whether from the front office or the fan base and you're going to see that same sort of um, changing of the guard or turning of the mentality of the fan base like we saw maybe a little prematurely I'll admit this past weekend uh, by the fans booing at the end of the game so um, yeah it, it's it's tough man and I don't know which is necessarily the right way right I mean you you have nah, a team that doesn't it's, spend it's crazy you don't you guys you guys have been a, a, a franchise for two years and you have a title <laughs> you know you got teams up here true the Philly Philly's true. never won a playoff game New England has lost four MLS Cup Finals. It's just it's funny to hear that from an Atlanta perspective, uh, considering the fact that you have gone and achieved more than a, what a bunch of franchises have, have ever achieved in ten percent the amount of time. Um, but you know that's the standard that you set. You know, I mean, now with Arthur Blank being the owner that he is, uh, you know, Tata Martino being the caliber of coach that can coach that team. I mean, the standards are obviously much higher for Atlanta than they are for a Philadelphia or a New England. And that's just, uh, those are good problems to have, you know? (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Two games in you. It exactly is. I mean, it's champagne problems, but I guess the flip side of that is that Atlanta is now, as a result of all of that, the uh, the risk reward situation is a lot higher as a result. So it's not just a matter of expectations; it's dollars and cents, right? So mm-hmm. whereas teams that maybe don't invest as much or, or limiting themselves to that ten million dollars a year, if they if they find a lot of success and they get one or two really big uh, sales or or trades that they end up making a big profit off of with a very small investment amount, you know that's a big win for them. Versus Atlanta, if if they Again, it's it's conjecture because it's so early on in the season, but it's it's a big talking point about a player like Ezekiel Barco, who's now in his second year, and where do we go if, if he doesn't start to find success and, and you get diminishing returns on what your investment is whenever you're spending this amount of money and not producing results and you're not able to sell those players for a profit like what took place with uh Miguel Almarone your your exposure is even more than what some of those other teams like Philadelphia are doing as well so you know there there's there's a sort of expiration date on what that mentality is for everybody involved and I don't think it's five weeks into the season by any means but it's just interesting to see uh from a, a fan perspective a team that's been in that situation for that four or five years now and sort of going through the motions of it, how a team like Atlanta, who has prided themselves on changing the mentality or the approach to the league and the league standard and how you invest in players, if that doesn't start to pay off, what's that expiration date for managers or front office personnel or uh, players even to achieve those results? And and is it a two-year turnaround time? You know, Because the bar is set so high so early on, I don't know. We're kind of in uncharted waters here. Well, yeah, I mean, there's always questions of sustainability, you know, especially when you come out flying and you win a title in year two, and now everybody's saying, okay, well, what the hell now? Um, But that's, you know, teams that win and franchises that have ambition. I mean, that's a great trait to have. You go anywhere in world soccer, world football, look at Real Madrid's expectations all the time, you know? (laughs) I would rather Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you ask ask me, you ask any Philadelphia fan, I think we would rather be players 
we would rather be relevant uh, and take those risks, make those ambitious signings and really go for it and put ourselves in the conversation versus the alternatives trying to cheap out with some BS version of money ball that everybody knows just is not really going to work in soccer. So I think, you know, if you're giving me those two things, I'd rather say, let's be ambitious, let's go for it. And if it, some signings don't work out, that's fine because the alternative is that you're just a loser. You're a perennial loser. So you can say, yeah, we're going to save money, not take any risks, which is boring and safe. But we also haven't put anything in the trophy cabinet up here in Atlanta has. Right, right. And I think that may be some of the frustration here internally at Atlanta as well. And, and maybe a good segue into talking about uh, the tactics going into this Sunday is how you're sort of taking those chances or pushing the system forward internally on uh, inside the play on the field itself, which is been a big contrast for Atlanta this year in not taking as many chances um in the style of play that Frank DeBoer has implemented and playing more cautious football or boring football, however you want to describe it with a possession-based attack, which is very contradictory to what Atlanta was able to run the past two years in a quick offensive counter position. What, what do you think has been, or what do you think will be, sort of the ace in the hole for Philly going up against teams like Atlanta that are still figuring some of that out and maybe what some of that um, routine and and systematic approach to the game year in and year out could potentially lend itself in a matchup standpoint uh, offensively. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say because the Union are in the same boat switching to a new formation. Um, you know, the Union played four two three one from 2014 until this year. Um, Jim Curtin has historically always been a one-striker kind of guy, and this year when Ernst Tanner came in and replaced Ernie Stewart, he said, we're going to play it this way. We're going to play four-four-two diamond instead. We're going to press a little bit. Um, you know, the fullbacks are going to be required to provide width. We don't want to play single striker. You know, we're going to be the, – the union actually turned themselves into a very nice possession team last year, which was strange to see, but there were some passages of play where they knocked the ball around for a little bit, and they looked like Barcelona with uh, Borg yeah. call up there and Harris Madunian in, Keegan Rosenberry, Alejandro Bedoya. They had some good on-ball possession kind of dudes, but now they want to play this sort of different, more direct kind of thing. And uh, it's interesting. The wrinkle, I think, to look for is that they have a, a defensive midfielder in Madunian in who really doesn't defend, which is strange to say, but <laughs> more of a deep-lying playmaker. And so I think they're still trying to figure out uh, you know, the spacing in this diamond and, and kind of figuring out where they want the shuttlers to be, you know, the two box-to-box, -box, uh, essentially kind of number eights in, in Alejandro Bedoya and whether it's Warren Creval or El Senior or whoever plays there. I think they're still trying to feel their way through it. I, I don't – I think we're in for a, a tactical kind of what the hell are we looking at kind of thing coming up this weekend because I think both both teams are probably still trying to, to figure out what they are at this point. Yeah, I think it'll be a perfect time for that matchup specifically related to both offenses, it sounds like. So who do you think gives the Union the best chance going forward, and who do you think is probably the biggest liability with that lineup as it stands currently with that new formation? Well, I think there's been a lot of stress on the fullbacks for sure. Um, Kai Wagner's 21 years old, just came over from the German third division and was shoved right into a, a MLS starting lineup. Ray Gaddis, a uh, 28-year-old veteran who has never really been an attacking kind of guy, really does not do a lick of attacking 
at all. Um, you're going to play this narrow diamond formation and expect the width to to come from fullbacks who really aren't that. One of them's a total unknown quantity, and one of them is a known quantity in a bad way. So uh, it, it's that, and then it's sort of figuring out how the two strikers are going to work off each other because they're not playing with wingers this year. There are no wingers in the in the formation. Um, so, you know, Fafa Pico, is he going high? Is he going low? Corey Burke, is he coming back? Is he, you know, which one's going to be kind of the holdup guy? And then where does Marco Fabian, who's suspended this weekend, you know, where does the number 10 kind of play at the tip of the diamond? How does he get in there? So it's it's all quirky kind of stuff, but I, I think their their biggest weakness is trying to sort of figure out the spacing with the fullbacks and when to get up and, and, and when to stay back. And uh, I identified that as the biggest concern of the season going in so far. And I, I think it's been... I mean, there's been some problems here and there. They just haven't really created a ton of clear-cut chances. They've blown some opportunities, um, some mistakes in defense. But it's sort of the corners and trying to trying to figure out that midfield fullback uh, uh, spacing. Yeah, I got you. Um, we were actually talking a little bit about you used to live in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, Virginia Just Highland. a couple of years ago back? Yeah, I used to, uh, when I, in my TV days, I actually started in Georgia. I lived in Augusta for two years, and I worked at the ABC station in Augusta for a couple of years, and I came up and I worked at uh, I worked at Fox 5 on uh, Briarcliff Road for a little bit. Oh, there bit. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was here for a little bit. That was 2009 um, Confederations Cup. I remember watching USA-Brazil final. It was some, some place in Little Five Points. It was packed. I can't remember <laughs> what the heck the name of it was but uh yeah i lived in atlanta for a little bit enjoyed my time there for sure right on uh do you follow any sports teams down south or is it primarily just uh sixers now no i mean i mean so i well i switched from the union beat to the sixers beat so i covered the sixers are the team that i cover now primarily but uh i went to west virginia and i've always been a big it was nice living in sec uh football territory for a long time so i always appreciated that about atlanta and augusta how big uh Georgia football, Bama, LSU, USC, you know, all that stuff was just, was just nice. Cause, uh, you know, Philly is such a pro sports town, you know, it's, it's right. Eagles, Sixers, Phillies, Flyers, and not, not much else behind here. The union are, are a very distant fifth. Um, but Atlanta was always kind of unique to me in that, like, you know, when the, when the Hawks were playing well, people seemed to be interested, you know, when the Falcons were doing good, people were interested, but people would go just as, just as crazy for, their college team or for NASCAR or whatever else is popular down there. But I, I knew that soccer was going to be really popular down there. Just, just seeing the, just playing down there for a couple of months and being around different people and seeing the international community there. I used to play in this league uh, in Atlanta that was out like, I forget the name of the town, Clark Silverback Clarksville, something like that. Oh, like, Clarkston. Yeah. Like East of Decatur down there. And uh, yeah, 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 it was like a team of all like uh, Africa. It was like a league of all yep. African expats. And like somehow yep. I ended up on, on, team tanzania and the rule was like they were able to <laughs> fill out their roster with like two or three white dudes or something like that so that was that was fun too yeah we actually did some uh fundraising we, there's a soccer organization called soccer on the streets here that was doing some fun, fundraising for a youth team out of uh clarkston last last season yeah there you raised go. some money for some kids over there so yeah i know the area well over there on uh dirt patches and and rickety old goals over yep. there behind the community church yeah that was it yeah <laughs> Uh, so what are some of the things that you think, I mean, I'm kind of at a loss here. It's been odd to hear about other fan bases over the course of this series and what we really want to do and showcase over the, the rest of this season is to talk to other fans and see sort of what, 
what makes other fan bases tick? What are the things to do leading up to matches? And and with you guys, I, I feel like we're kind of at this weird in-between, right? So what do you think is the driving force or what could fans uh, look to do leading up to a match? Obviously, this week is in Atlanta, but what are some of still the, the staples or go-tos that's driving the community forward or some, some sort of beacons of hope internally uh, for the union supporter groups? Well, I mean, I guess you could still point to the fact that it's early. You know, they're trying a new formation. Uh, the sporting director, the new sporting director, has made some pretty good signings. Um, Marco Fabian, he hasn't had a great start, but that was a really ambitious signing for them. Uh, this Kai Wagner dude looks like he's okay. It looks like a decent, like, plucked from nowhere kind of thing. Want to see more from the striker Sergio Santos? He hasn't been able to start yet. See what he's got, you know? Uh, they played, paid $500,000 to get him. Um, Right. from the Chilean first division. I think that, you know, for sure. And I think that because people have seen this before and they've seen that they, they turned it, they started the same way last year and then they turned it on halfway through. Um, that certainly gives you hope for sure. I think people were just looking for a more, a more confident start, but, but Philly fans are, you know, it's very, we're, we're very, uh, very passionate and emotional and that doesn't necessarily lend itself to, to pragmatism. But, uh, you know, I remember I, I told Ernie Stewart a couple years ago, we were talking just about Philly fans in general. I said, look, you know, you, you guys are going to lose a game and, it's, and they're going to be calling for your firing, but you go out and you win the next game and we're going to the MLS Cup, you know. I mean, so people change the way they feel very, very quickly in Philadelphia. And that's also one of our, our best traits, too, is that our, our, our best trait, our worst trait is also our best trait, that when, you know, you lose a game, everybody's, you know, on one end of the spectrum. And then when you win a game, everybody goes flying back to the other end of the spectrum. So uh, that's every sports fan. Yeah. I, think yeah, I don't there are people unique. calling for Nick Saban's head after one loss <laughs> last year or something like that. I mean, yeah. I don't think that's unique fan to bases like that. I don't think that's unique to us. I just think we do. I think we do it to probably more of a degree. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I lived down there, I, I felt like, um, sec football fans were, were probably the closest to the typical Philadelphia sports fan. So you mentioned uh, West Virginia, which breaks my heart as a Clemson alumni. I still, regardless of how many championships Clemson wins, I, I can't get over that Orange Bowl defeat a couple of years back. I'll trade you, man. You can have you can have seventy to thirty three, and I'll take the national titles. <laughs> it's rare that you come across a, a West Virginia fan, but uh, I guess I guess I had it coming last week. We talked to some of the Cincinnati guys, and and I got my my jabs into those Ohio State fans. So yeah, well, we due. can we're in agreement on that. I'm not much of an OSU OSU guy. So. Um, so whenever you're not following uh, the Union or Sixers, who what other teams are you really following? West Virginia sports, man. It's weird, you know, working in the media. It's uh, you know, it's weird because I, you know, I grew up as a Philadelphia sports fan, but now I don't, I don't necessarily consider myself a, f- a fan anymore because I write about the teams. You know, it's just it's a job to me. Uh, but I think right. that's kind of amplified my my fandom of the the teams that I don't cover, which is just West Virginia football, West West Virginia basketball. Um, you know, Philly's such a a parochial and uh, provincial kind of town. You know, you don't you don't find a lot of. Uh, Whereas Atlanta is kind of a melting pot and you have a lot of transplants and a lot of people who come from all of different areas of the South, you know, carpetbaggers that come down from New York and whatever too. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different fans for a lot of different teams, but in Philly, you know, you grow up here, you're expected to root for the Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, and Sixers and nothing else. Um, we, right. we can't stand New York and Boston and the, and the Cowboy fans who've some, somehow pop up in New Jersey or whatever. There's a, there's a very 
strong distaste for those kinds of people. But no, it's it's because I work in the media now. I don't necessarily think of myself as a fan of, of Philly sports teams anymore, so I, I go more to my, my college teams. Yeah, that's that's totally understandable. Um, so it's interesting talking about Philly fans and it's fitting talking to you with the name of it's always soccer uh, in Philadelphia. And one of my favorite shows for the longest time was it's always sunny and and how ridiculous they portray Philly's fans. And um, (laughs) I I guess how much truth is there to that? And what is the experience like leading up to union games? I think Atlanta travels up to Philly at the end of August. Uh, I believe it's August 31st. Mm-hmm. I had written down somewhere. Um, so what are some of the things leading up to kickoff and uh, some of the fan experiences that you think are tried and true to the union experience? It's just a good tailgate environment. Um, you know, it's in Chester, which is really kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it's 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 a beautiful stadium right on the river, and uh, the Sons of Ben still run a great tailgate. Uh, there's always a lot of people kicking it in the parking lot. Philly fans aren't complicated. I mean, it's these sort of put yourself around people you want to be around, you know, drink some beers, grill some burgers and whatever. And we kind of do the same thing that everybody else does. Um, the sons of Ben have a nice, uh, traditional March into the stadium that they do from their tailgating area, um, where they come up, uh, the supporters gate and they go in through the river uh, up into the river end. But, um, yeah, I mean, now it's just not the greatest time to be a Union fan. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's it's kind of like this purgatory where people don't really know. They want to support the team, but they also want to see something different, but they want to still support the team, but they want to see change. And it's kind of, you know, it's just constant push and pull between, uh, you know, wanting what's best for the franchise, but you don't want to sell out the, the players, too. You want to show them your support. So it's still a good environment. I think people still enjoy it, but uh, we're not really, we're not complicated people, that's for sure. So to that point, I mean, we talked about some of the expectations that Atlanta fans have for what their season is marqueed by a successful run, um, especially reflecting on last year. One of the questions we talked to the FC Cincy guys last week was with them being a new team in the franchise, sort of what their expectations are, what what would um, mark or indicate a successful season for them. And it's interesting hearing the differences team to team you know, with with Union fans sort of being in this limbo, what do you think would be um, an indicator of a successful season or what's a realistic expectation for the Union going in? You mentioned being in the playoffs four years and, and not having a win um, and then being one of those uh, wild card teams last year. What, what sort of expectations are there this year knowing that there's a new system in place and uh, some of the shortcomings in years past? You got to win in the. You got to win a playoff game. You got to win a playoff game, or you got to win the U.S. Open Cup because you've you've been there before and you haven't been able to get over the hump. And anything less than that is is not a successful season. You know, it seems crazy to think like Jim Curtin uh, won 15 games last year. Those most games that the team won in franchise history, but uh, they also lost 14 games. Okay, so I mean, how how do you look at that? Is that a glass half full or glass half empty kind of thing? You know, I mean, do do you look at a team that won a historic amount of games, but and focus on that or do you say well they also got their butt kicked a bunch of times too you know that that's what it is i mean it's it's win a playoff game or nothing and if you don't you better win the u.s open cup or get back to the final maybe because we're 10 years into this thing and they've got nothing yeah. to show for it they've got absolutely zero to show for it you know uh jim Curtin, who i like i, I really like I've, I've known him for seven or eight years now i knew him before he was a, a head coach of the union 
um, you know, he's an easy guy to cheer for, and he's a really nice dude. But uh, you know, I, I think if if something doesn't happen this year, I think there's it's hard to justify, uh, you know, going along with that. So what do you? So if you had to pick one uh, between a playoff win or winning the Open Cup, which one do you think would mean more to the fan base as a rallying cry going into next year? I mean, I think the Open Cup is probably easier for us to spin uh, into gaining more traction for the union in Philadelphia because we could sell it to non-soccer fans up here as, hey, the union won a trophy. You know, they got their first piece of silverware, and we can explain to them why they're playing in the Champions League next year, you know. So I think that's probably easier to explain to the casual fan. That's easier to spin into something palpable and, and more more tangible moving forward than, well, they finally won a playoff game. You know, because then what? I mean, you you win a wild card round and then you go and get right. you know beat by New York or something the second round. I don't think that does as much for you as be, being able to spin the narrative into a look. We won our first trophy, kind of thing. Well, you know, the way around that is what Orlando City have managed to done, what managed to do, which is to have an invitational in the preseason and then uh, win it at home and give yourself a trophy yeah. that you can celebrate and yeah, use right. that as your hardware. <laughs> well, the Union won like one of those stupid. Uh, like Suncoast Invitationals that like long before Orlando City was at even a team, uh, they won one of those and had that trophy. And I think the dude who plays like FIFA for the union, whatever his name is, I think he won a couple titles. So that's the closest we've gotten thus far. <laughs> the the uh, e, the ESL trophies? Yeah, the EMLS Cup or whatever the hell that was all there about. There you go. <laughs> we have good video gamers, but we can't play the real sport. <laughs> all right, man, last question I got for you. What's your score prediction for this weekend? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say without Marco Fabian. I'm kind of wondering what they do with the lineup. Uh, you know, it's tough when he's like the kind of the centerpiece of the whole thing and you're trying to make it work around him. And, and now what? I, I don't, either they go with Ilsenio there or they maybe they shove Brendan Aronson in there. Um, I think Atlanta wins 2-1, to one, but I think it's kind of a sloppy game in the first half. And then I think Atlanta probably just has a little, little bit more talent in playing at home. I think Atlanta wins. Yeah, objectively speaking, after seeing the first uh, run of games and knowing they've got a tough game this week against Monterey before turning around and playing you guys, I think it's a sloppy game no matter who wins that. Um, mm-hmm. The amount of elements that Philly's got to sort out and then obviously the ones that Atlanta has to sort out. Whoever wins, I don't think it's – maybe you start to see, uh, and I guess that's kind of my goal or hope going into that game, is that you start to see glimpses of – maybe how the offense is supposed to function, even if it's not for a full 90 minutes. And I, I think that we may have our best opportunity to see that going up against a team that's really starting to figure that out uh, the same way that Atlanta is, where you've got some carryover pieces to the puzzle and um, and you're just trying to figure it out with a new formation along with some new moving parts and pieces versus what we had to do against, say, D.C. or a brand-new club like FC Cincinnati. So. Um, just hoping for a good game, man. I, I don't know which way to think, really, with Atlanta right now. Obviously, I hope for the win and, and that the home field means something, but uh, I think it's going to be a sloppy game overall. Well, we'll see, man. Yeah, I mean, it'll be uh, – the Union have played okay down there. Um, I remember before Harrisman Union went into a, a rage last year and was a <laughs> Was sent off. That was one of the biggest spectacles I have ever yeah. seen watching the sport. Yeah, I don't know what really what got into him because he's not. He's actually a really nice guy and he's usually very calm. So I don't. I don't know. I think because they felt like they were playing really well for like that first fifteen or twenty minutes and uh, and holding their own with Atlanta, probably had played better than Atlanta for those first twenty minutes. And I think the card, oh, I agree. He just he just lost lost his his stuff. You know. 
All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming and hanging out with me. I promise this isn't as uh, as dull or bland with my co-host here. I'm kind of out of sorts without him here being beside me. So uh, thanks for coming and hanging out with me. Where all can the people find you at and uh, find the content at? Yeah, it's uh, at, at Twitter. It's Kevin underscore Kincaid, K-I-N-K-E-A-D. And uh, you can Google It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. We've been doing the podcast since 2016 now. I think we're approaching uh, – episode number 75 i can't really remember where we're at now we do it when the union are winning and when they're not winning we kind of do it when we feel like it so that's a lot less stress maybe we should try to do the same thing (laughs) well we're accused (laughs) of being negative but i just say that we're being realistic so yeah that's the only way you can be right i mean ultimately we can't change anything all we can do is talk about it and, and hopefully have a good time in doing so if it's not fun then what's the point right yeah amen brother All right, man. I appreciate you, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. Absolutely. All right. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.